1: I'm Dave Rubin and joining me today is a journalist, an author, and a Lincoln fellow at the Claremont Institute, Matthew Tiermond. Matthew, finally, welcome to the Rubin Report. How are you?
2: It's an honor to be with you, Dave. You, you forgot the most important honorific, friend.
1: And friend, you are one of the people in our little Florida crew here, our little Florida freedom crew. Uh, basically, this is home base for sanity throughout the world. Uh, I've wanted to have you on for for quite some time because you know there's this whole thing. Well, I know you know this. There is this whole situation, let's say, happening in Brazil, which has been unfolding after these elections for the last couple months. I've only talked about it maybe two or three times on the show. It is not my area of expertise, but the crazier it seems to get out there with the visuals of the protesters and everything else. It seems to me the more the mainstream media is ignoring it. And that's one of the things that always lights up in my mind, like, oh, mainstream media is ignoring it. We better pay attention to it. You basically have been, I don't know, possibly the most outspoken person from an American perspective on what's going on in Brazil. So let's do this. Can you give me 30 seconds on your background, why people should trust you on this topic? And then let's do a little Brazil 101 and then get people caught up to speed on what's going on over there right now.
2: Sure. Uh as I said, great to be with you. And, you know, thank you from, you know, on my behalf as well as Brazilians' behalf, because they feel very, very ignored. And I've become somewhat of their voice, sort of for the Western press from a right wing perspective, a conservative perspective, an honest perspective, uh, as they've been totally uh their voice has been negated as their laws have been abrogated. And I, you know, I didn't expect Brazil to be my beat. I'm an investigative journalist and a political activist. I wear my politics on my sleeve. Everybody knows it. This is not, you know, my uh, my vocation professionally. I do not make money as an activist or in campaigns or in uh, journalism. I do it because of the love of the game and the belief in uh, truth to power. I, you know, we have mutual friends like James O'Keefe. I'm on the board of Project Veritas. Uh, I help uh, manage a group in Chicago called Open the Books that uh, does forensic auditing in the public sector. All things that I believe are important to you know make a more honest society because our society is is as uh, broken as it's ever been. I did not expect Brazil to be my beat. I've been covering a lot of uh, international geopolitics from a European perspective. I'm a Polish dual citizen. I live in Europe a good chunk of the time. I've certainly covered uh, Russia, Ukraine, especially from the Polish perspective, given that they're sort of in the line of fire. Uh, but, you know, I cover the sovereignist uh, movements in Europe, uh, Westphalian sovereignty, as expressed in politics, whether it's Poland or Hungary or the right-wing parties in Sweden and Spain and France and Germany, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't expect to do Brazil, but here we are. I went there for CPAC in and- 21 with Jason Miller gave a speech about exactly this honest media, free press, culture war. And uh, lo and behold, as we were exiting the country we were detained. Uh, by Alexander Morias, the Supreme Court, which we will speak about, uh, and interrogated and asked to write down the names of who we met with—the politicians, the activists, the journalists—and it had a very Stalinist feel to it. You know, give us the uh, the next uh, tranche of our enemies list. Of course, we did not comply with that. And from that, I you know germinate an in interest. I want to understand exactly. Well, what wait, 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 hold
1: on. I got got to pause you there. You're trying to leave a country. Yes. They ask you for the list. They detain you. You don't comply. That's not an easy thing to do. I I think you glossed over how that ended.
2: Well, they said we were not under arrest. We were part of what they call the fake news investigation. And we'll talk about this. For years, the court and the burgeoning judicial autocracy uh, had put every one of the political enemies of the court of the Lula camp into this box of uh, by being critical of the court or any of the things in government that was not aligned with Bolsonaro. They were assaulting democratic institutions. That's the sort of framework that they applied. And so they've had this fake news investigation that has given them the pretext to censor journalists, arrest journalists, even arrest uh, sitting members of the lower house in Brazil, they put Daniel Silver under a house arrest. Uh, a lot of ankle bracelets rolling around there, uh, and so I knew that going in to some degree. I got educated more on the ground. Jason Miller and I, and as people don't know, this is Trump's sort of campaign main comms guy, very very close to Trump, very very high profile figure in his own right, and he was building out Getter at the time, still is, uh, an alternative to uh, Twitter that uh, you know is more egalitarian, freedom-oriented, uh, especially as Twitter was a uh, highly uh, censored platform, as we all know, as I know you know. Uh, and so he was going to talk about that at CPAC and promote it. Uh, and I was talking about, you know, private Veritas and media. And I organized, because I am quite friendly over the years with Eduardo Bolsonaro and other members of the Bolsonaro family, I organized a meeting with all of us in uh, Jair Bolsonaro, the sitting president at the palace. And those pictures that we posted went viral. Uh, and... It turned out that on the Sunday, we were leaving on a Monday, on the Sunday after CPAC had uh, had uh, concluded, uh, news stories broke in the uh, stenographer press, the uh, the guild-carrying mainstream press of Brazil, which actually makes uh, CNN here look downright honest. I mean, these guys <laughs> were really, uh, really— wow. Really wow. propped really propagandist uh, incidentally, not surprisingly, they were also on the payroll of the previous regimes quite heavily uh, state owned uh, enterprises were funding much of their revenue advertising and whatever else. Uh, so they reported on a Sunday afternoon before we we're supposed to leave that we'd been on, under surveillance from the moment we landed. And I told Jason, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in Central and Eastern Europe, post-communist nations. I've been tapped. I've been surveilled. I've been watched. I've been dragged into, to, you know, kangaroo court hearings. Uh, none of this stuff surprises me. And I told him and I said, uh, you know, there's a good chance we're going to be uh, detained at the airport. And he goes, no, you're being paranoid. I go, I'm not being paranoid. I think it'd be kind of great. It would serve the point quite perfectly. Uh, I also have dual citizenship, which is kind of helpful. Uh, And we were, so we were leaving on uh, Monday to uh, fly out. And before we can get to our plane, uh, they say, you know, please come with us. And they put, uh, we had a traveling party of four, uh, Jason, myself, and two uh, dual Brazilian uh, American citizens. Uh, that, uh, that came with us and also had been involved with CPAC. And they really, Jason was the main one they wanted to talk to. And so they let us sit on the plane uh, for a little bit and three, four hours goes by. Lawyers are called, State Department lawyers called. Uh, they say, well, you're screwed, get another lawyer. Uh, so they weren't very helpful. Eventually, uh, uh, Jason was able to procure a, uh, a good lawyer through Brazilian context to come and help extricate us. Uh, But it became a big story when we were flying out, Politico, CNN, Forbes, Business Insider, they all picked it up about our detention. But it was very, very instructive of how heavy handed they are. Here we are, you know, not Brazilians, just coming in, uh, in a constitutional republic, we can come and speak our ideas. Well, or so we thought, uh, apparently not without some sort of repercussion. And they wanted to to probe and understand who we met with to add to their en- enemies list. So from that moment on, I just said, I'm going to go deep. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to really understand the history, how we got here, the the mechanisms of power that are in place and being utilized to clamp down on opposition. And I learned a lot in the, in the, the following months. And I published on it ahead of the election. And I basically predicted that this election would be filled with uh, you know, to use a generous term, anomalies. Uh, But this, even Tucker said it the other night when I was on, the fix was in. Uh, The fix was in, you know, the real genesis of the fix being in was this court subsuming all these powers that are generally broken down in a constitutional republic. uh, They're very Bismarckian. Remember, Otto von Bismarck said, politics is the art of the possible. They just do it. And the the power assumptions they've done by censoring journalists, by shaping the narrative, by forcing people and and cowing them into submission uh, is overwhelming. You know, I wrote in one of my articles, the powers they've taken would make Mugabe blush. It would be akin to, in the U.S., if we had one tribunal that had all the powers of the DOJ, say Merrick Garland, the head of the FBI, enforcement, uh, subpoena power, uh, the legislators' power of oversight. So say, uh, uh, you know, Gerald Nadler and uh, the, the recent uh, select committee or unselect committee. Uh, all of these powers. Oh, and the Supreme Court, of course. You know, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, also. So, if you wrapped up all these people, Eric Holder, everyone who is uh, fighting, you know, the American right, and you gave one body and one person all of their powers combined, that's what the Supreme Court has become. And as a result, it's up for quite gross abuse. One of their biggest gross abuses was they. Wait, la- hold on. Let
1: me let, let, let me pause you for a sec because there's, there's a lot here. I want to make sure we don't get ahead of ourselves. First off, everything that you just described there, I feel like is basically slow motion happening in this country, in, I mean, in this country that we're in right now, uh, that's one problem. But okay, so, so there was a centraliz- centralization of power. This is last year first when you got detained. Now you're deep into this thing. You're predicting sort of what's gonna happen with the election. And I don't wanna to get too, just because I'm trying to intro everybody to this, I don't wanna to get too lost in all of the weeds of this. Sure. So let's just flash a little bit towards the election. So it's a couple days before the election. W- what were you thinking was gonna happen? And can you just describe the two candidates a little bit? Because it really is, in essence, this is a capitalist versus socialist fight that's happening there.
2: Yeah, and and and, and very, very basic. I mean, hard right, hard left. You know, the, the Brazilian right uh, is more and more uh, evangelical. Brazil's always been Catholic. Uh, Brazil's populism that Bolsonaro uh, really became the head of. And he was a legislator before his career military. Then he was a legislator in the lower house, a congressman. Uh, they they called the chamber of deputies. Uh, the populism that he came in with to Brazil was really reactionary. Obviously, we saw what's going on in the whole world. Poland and Hungary uh, reacting against the EU overreach of their sovereign mm-hmm. decision-making capacity on borders, on economics and everything. Uh, Trump, Brexit. So Bolsonaro comes in in 2018, and he obviously is a conservative. He's a right winger, uh, very, very strongly aligned with evangelicals, with Israel, uh, very much a uh, believer in Brazil first, and also a a, a guy warning about China's uh, deep integration into the ever more communist Latin America, and. The important history is why Bolsonaro's a reaction, because before Bolsonaro, you had Lula da Silva, Dilma Rousseff, and Michael Temer. Uh, Lula was a two-term president who was convicted, impeached, convicted, and sent to jail for a very, very famous, made one of the largest public corruption scandals in the history of the world. It's called Operation Car Wash. Uh, you could even, I, the Wikipedia, it's so brazen and uh, overdone that even the Wikipedia is accurate because you can't, you can't spend millions <laughs> wow, uh, yeah. Stolen. They call a lava jato in uh, in Brazil, and they were selling under Lula's presidency. Uh, essentially, the state assets, natural resource assets, state assets for cash in bags to the Chinese to others taking nice uh, commissions for themselves. Huge money was uh, changing hands within their cabal. And also very importantly, sending money to Cuba uh, via via Petrobras. Uh, Petrobras is the state oil company, one of the biggest in the world. uh, And they were helping support Cuba by giving them free oil, even though it's a joint stock company with international investors. So very, very, very illegal stuff. He was convicted of a dozen charges uh, by 19 judges in three separate hearings, three separate court trials. So when they say, oh, well, it was uh, it was fixed, it was wrong. No, no, three separate tribunals of 19 judges unanimously convicted him of 12 charges and sentenced him to 12 years in jail, his judicial appointees. Uh, him and Dilma, people from his own party, they appoint these judges, Supreme Court and other courts. They let him out citing a jurisdictional technicality. Now, that is an absolute canard because he's still from the entire country. So in in sort of the, the jurisprudence along the Brazilian constitutional lines... There are no jurisdictions where he would not be eligible for trial because he stole from everybody. And these judges that unanimously found him guilty, these were not Bolsonaro people. These people predated Bolsonaro by many years. And in fact, even the mainstream media uh, at the time was covering it. Uh, Even uh, the military, when we talk about the Brazilian military and the mixed bag of their political allegiances, they were defending the protesters on the street when this broke. So he goes to jail. Dilma Rousseff, his uh, vice president in essence, takes over. She ends up impeached and convicted for the same thing. She gets kicked out of office. Her vice president, Michael Temer, uh, comes in and only serves out two years, very, very pro-China. When he left, he had 7% approval, uh, which is you know pretty historic lows for any constitutional republic to have 7% approval uh, of, a, of a head of state. Uh, Bolsonaro got elected on a wave of this, just discontent, distrust, in the corruption of this cabal lula politically is you know i i read sometimes in uh mainstream press now that they are covering it because it's expedient to do so to further their narrative he's a socialist he's not a socialist he's a communist he is a full-on marxist hammer and sickles five-pointed stars in 1990 he co-founded the sao paulo forum with drumroll please, fidel castro And the genesis of this was the Soviet Union was breaking down between 89 and 91. The Soviet Union for the better part of 50 or 60 years was feeding money to Cuba and using Cuba as the base of operations for this hemisphere to incubate and inculcate Marxist political movements all over Latin America. So with the Soviet Union that well running dry. Lula and Fidel realized they needed to do it and you couldn't do it out of Cuba uh, per se because of all the sanctions. So Lula created in Brazil, the Sao Paulo Forum as an incubating uh, vehicle, like a think tank, like a AEI on the right or a Brookings or a World Economic Forum to push the ideas and to teach the political players. And they were very much behind the rise of Chavismo, Chavez, Maduro. There is no Latin American communist that did not go through Forum Sao Paulo trainings. Ortega in Nicaragua, Morales in Bolivia, Arce, who's now in Bolivia, uh, Maduro and Chavez, Kirchner, Fernandez, and more recently in Colombia, which was sort of a righty country because of the reaction against the Marxist guerrilla narco-traficantes of FARC, you now have a leader uh, named Petro, who also was a Marxist guerrilla with another sort of drug-moving guerrilla force. He's now head under some questionable uh, election uh, election uh, runnings of the election. And then in Chile, another country that's sort of bounce between right and center left was never a hard left uh bolivia or venezuela now you've got uh boric a another student marxist leader that was incubated by the sao paulo forum brazil is the gold standard brazil is what they needed to bring it all together so the judges released him made him a sort of figurehead he couldn't go i mean it sounds familiar he couldn't go out and campaign much like biden but you know when biden couldn't campaign it was because there was no enthusiasm when lula couldn't campaign it's because if he went into public and walked down the street he'd be ripped limb from limb like Gaddafi. he's not liked everybody in the country i even was on a twitter spaces the other day and i even got the communists who were on the spaces in this debate to concede oh yeah of course he was guilty of public corruption everybody knows that which i started tweeting at them that they admitted that
1: for their base, uh, so- All right, so wait, let, let, let's pause for a second. So, okay, so there's a lot here. So I wanna make sure everyone's following all this. So you have the communist that was in charge for a while. There's all this corruption. He's basically selling the country off to China, piece by piece. Eventually he gets released, starts this forum. You, you've explained how this sort of got exported. The forum exported.
2: 1990. So this is yeah, so- where he built his political-
1: So movement. now this is sort of exported all through the region. Now this get, now let's get, then Balnazaro takes over. He has a couple pretty good years actually, but then we have this election. So get us caught up really starting a little bit before the election. Because I want people to understand really what some of because we're going to show some B-roll as you're talking of the protests and everything post-election. But I want people to understand why there are these people out there, what they are doing, and how our media is trying to really, really paint them in this, you know, these are the ultra-magic Republicans that are out there doing all this stuff.
2: Yeah, no, this is a silent majority center. I mean, these are not you know oath keeper, proud boys as much as they like <laughs> to spin it. Uh, so very, very important is that in Bolsonaro comes in in an eighteen, and he, very, very quickly he the rallies around him are driven toward the debate over elections because people know nobody expect, much like Hillary Clinton and Trump they didn't expect Bolsonaro to win uh, the, the the establishment, the leftist establishment, the courts, the media. They thought they would be fine. Bolsonaro actually won. And I really believe that it was, uh, you know, this sort of circumstance. He got stabbed while on the campaign trail and was he was almost assassinated, almost murdered. And the strength he showed inspired a lot of people. He was back on the campaign trail. I mean, he was near death. He was in the ICU. And then he's back on the campaign trail and he ekes in the victory. And of course, now they're apoplectic. Now they have to go especially aggressive, the establishment. And how do we undermine him and how do we make sure this doesn't happen again? Uh, Very, very important data point when he was in Congress he sponsored a bill that was passed to have backup paper ballots To the electronic voting machines, which they started using a certain Venezuelan company in 2016, uh, and people kind of knew we don't trust our Latin American democracies because we're this is not like uh, you know us thinking back 100 years ago. This is for them 20 30 years ago what Latin America looked like: Uh, military dictatorships, uh, heavily Marxist rule, and in many of the countries it kind of bounces back and forth. And so people knew that you know they're always one step away from going back to that. And so massive rallies in the street. Give us paper. I was there in uh, Brasilia when I saw rally. And the chance are, give us paper ballots. That is what they want. So he pushes a bill in 16 that, uh, you know, four backup paper ballots, Dilma was president at the time. She vetoes it citing, you love this, the cost. So the machines themselves are 20,000 bucks. The printer's a hundred bucks. Uh, and she cites, <laughs> well, this is fiscally irresponsible to put a printer in the, uh, and everybody knew that was a BS, a, a BS, uh, a BS uh, you know, reasoning. So right. can't you just back-
1: borrow the money from China?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a de minimis cost right now, printers, as we know. It's, yeah, <laughs> the beauty of capitalism. Prices go down. Yeah. Uh, so it goes back to Congress. Congress overrides the veto. That never happens. Brazilian parliamentary congressional politics, legislative politics, very fragmented. It's not like two parties. It's like, like 10 parties and really five frames. Center left, hard left, center, center right, hard right, and then multiple parties in each one overwhelming support for this in the legislature and then so it now overrides for veto it gets passed supreme court strikes it down citing privacy issues Uh, so they were very at war with paper ballots because they knew that that would be auditable Uh, so now he's you know talking about this as president uh, and people are obviously nervous uh, coming in because they let Lula out of prison. Lula, and they're citing all the international press, Lula's back out, so, technicality, absolute nonsense, you know, because of the, the criminality was so high, everybody knew it. So now the court is going full interference mode in every which way, arresting and censoring journalists. Well, there's a great journalist here in the US, Alan dos Santos, uh, he's like Brazil's Tucker Carlson. I mean, like if you could pick one journalist who represents the voice of the people from a conservative and right-wing perspective, uh, Uh, He's been exiled. They ransacked his house and he escaped and claimed asylum here. He has sort of a a sort of temporary asylum. Uh, And more recently, they've revoked his passport and put out Interpol red notices for him. This is how heavy handed they are. They arrested uh, sitting members of Congress, dozens of journalists, as I mentioned before, a lot of ankle bracelets, a lot of home detentions, uh, frozen bank accounts. Deplatforming, they started going after big tech and saying, anytime we send you somebody to deplatform, you have to take them off or we will fine you. If you ignore the fines, we will come after you, we will kick you out of the country. And even even Facebook initially and YouTube pushed back. We're talking like four years ago or so. They said, no, we don't see grounds for a uh, social media suspension or a blacklist or a ban. And they said, well, we don't care if you see grounds. If you don't do it, we're going to raid your servers and kick you out of the country. And by the way, this this uh, Supreme Court has their own federal police force like an FBI that's loyal to them. So they have real power, real muscle behind, you know, uh, what was the Supreme Court supposed to do in a constitutional republic? Adjudicate legislation if it's constitutional or not. They're so far beyond that. And the guy who runs it wasn't a judge. He was a prosecutor. He was a very famous, zealous political prosecutor from Sao Paulo that Temer pointed. Out. This is guy, Alexander Marias. For anybody who like, is researching Brazil, looks at my articles or anything on uh, social media, he's the guy who looks like a Brazilian Lex Luthor. Uh, he looks exactly like Lex Luthor. I mean, a big shit-eating grin on his face, drunk with power. Uh, and he's literally he just has anybody he doesn't like arrested. Uh, So Bolsonaro tried to fight back on it, but he was kind of hamstrung. The legislature wasn't overwhelmingly for Bolsonaro either. I mean, very fragmented. So now you have leading into the election, all the polls uh, done by the usual suspects, the mainstream press, Globo, Folha, the equivalent of CNN, are saying that Lula is up by like 20 points. He's going to win in a a landslide. Well, the end of the first round, Lula was up by uh, three or four points. Neither got over 50 percent and really as I believe I proved in uh, my CDM media, I, I write for an uh, a outlet called cdm.press. Uh, the publisher's name is Todd Wood, ex-military. He does not afraid of anything. So he'll publish me. I, I touched some third rails. Uh, and I, I did some statistical analysis with an uh, international group of forensic auditors and analysts in electoral distributions, political science. And th- what we saw in just the first round, let alone second round, was that Bolsonaro was well up initially, until the ballot drops skewed after the first 10 or so percent of precincts. Every single one therein was 55-45 Lula, including in regions, I mean, certainly in regions where were historical leftist strongholds, poorer areas in the Amazon, a lot of indigenous tribes people used to vote for for Lula, for Dilma, for the the socialist programs like Bolsa Familia, redistributing wealth. Well, it turns out that In those precincts, there were zero votes for Bolsonaro, which was so brazen because many of the Bolsonaro did bring a lot of people together. People really did like him on the ground. And they ended up in these marches and as protest leaders, the indigenous tribal leaders, and they have special rights in the Brazilian constitution. They, they don't have, it's almost like a American Indian, Native American reservations. There's sort of a dual uh, legal code and some things apply to them, some things don't. And so they were leading the protest movements as well. And the, the chief of the Javanchi the tribe, Cesare, still in jail from January 12th on. My intel tells me they've been torturing him, trying to get him to sign a a self-denunciation and public apology to Marias. This is coming from his family and his fellow tribe members. So the, the first round they're marching, because they're like, no, we did vote for Bolsonaro. There's no way in these precincts in our region that there were zero votes. So we know that there was gross fraud. In the second round, the clampdowns came down because there's a first round, if you don't win a simple majority, and there was like six or seven candidates. Nobody got over 50 percent. So it goes to a runoff between Bolsonaro and, uh, and Lula uh, four weeks after the first round, October 2nd, Sunday, October 2nd, then Sunday, October 30th. And then the same exact thing happens in the second round. Bolsonaro is way up initially, uh, and then the ballot drops start 55-45, give or take, until they both cross over, both the first round and the second round. They crossed over to a Lula lead at 66.66% of precincts reporting, which is like, uh, you know, and, and by the way, if you're a mathematician, mathematician the standard deviation uh, sort of differentials and Fibonacci level, sixty-six point six is a very important number in statistics for a reason. And so it was kind of interesting with the algorithms how it's, it somehow ended up there. Uh,
1: so, so, so le- okay, again, let me, let me pause you for a sec. So yeah. basically there's all this corruption. He's running on this idea that we have to secure our elections. This actually sounds, there's a reason I wanted to do this for my audience that mostly focuses on American politics. The themes here obviously are are transcending borders. So then they, okay, there's the first one, there's the second one. And now people are going something something really isn't right because what they're seeing out of the media is really not matching up with what they're, Seeing on the ground again, it sort of of seems familiar.
2: Point between the first round and the second round. In the first round, Bolsonaro's party did unprecedentedly well. Regions that they never secured governorships or senators or lower house legislators, they'd never had that representation. His party, on the strength of his endorsement alone, won handily. Unprecedented how much? 27, uh, 19 out of 27, one third of the Senate seats, 81 Senate seats are up one-third of them and he got 19 out of that one-third 27 that is a massive mandate governorships uh so down ballot everybody performed well and these are not people who even had political identities their Mm -hmm. entire identity was predicated on the fact bolsonaro said okay go for this guy and they won easily so again everyone's like um something's rotten in the state of uh, brazil uh, to paraphrase hamlet they start marching on the second round uh the day after October thirtieth, so October thirty-first, that Monday, that was the first. I'm sure to show some of this footage.
1: Yeah, so we'll we'll play some footage right now, just yeah. to, that you can keep going, and we're, we're just going to show you because these talking, were extraordinary images.
2: We're not talking tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. We're not even talking millions. We're talking eight figures. People in the streets, not just in Brasilia or the major you know, cities like Sao Paulo and Rio or Belo Horizonte, we're talking leftist strongholds in the north, like Recife. Every city in the country, their town square was filled with people screaming about this, saying, no, we and, you know, part of it is they also know communism. They don't want to be communism. They know Lula is a, 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 an actual communist. Uh, and so the protests are massive. And as I was saying on, you know, a lot of the appearances, the revolution will not be televised. Not a single Reuters dispatch, BBC, NBC, NPR, nothing, Silence. Globo, their fake news media, decides that they want to prove to the world how there are no protests. So they go to a back alley and go, see, nobody's here. That's how gross and Pravda and Soviet and brazen it is. Uh, The protests accelerate into the certification, the certification. And by the way, very important, There is the Supreme Court, which is the, the, you know, creme de la creme of the pyramidal distribution of judiciary. But right under the Supreme Court is the Electoral Court, the Tribune Superior Electoral. Guess what they do? They oversee the elections, administer the elections. Guess who's the head of it? The same chief justice appointed himself from the Supreme Court, Alexander Morales, as head of the electoral court. So he's been head of the electoral court as well and uses that as anytime somebody leading into the election between the first and the second round, after the second round says, the election might've been fraudulent. Electoral court says, you're assaulting the democratic institution. You're uh, besmirching the faith and integrity of our elections. You're under arrest. Your bank account's frozen. You've been deplatformed on social media. So gross abuses Soviet style uh, in power. Now, the military wakes up and they say, well, the Constitution says in Article 142, we have the role in society of when there's a separation of powers dispute to adjudicate it. And as we have now, the judiciary is at odds with the executive branch. And so it's the military's job to adjudicate it. So they file a petition to audit the machines, the tabulation data, and the source code, which is very much their constitutional right and responsibility. The electoral court says Pound sand. They ignore it entirely. The military puts out a 65 page audit report that says, well, we can't give anything conclusive because they wouldn't let us near the actual evidence. Then right after that, you've got the head of the party, uh the Bolsonaro's Party, the Liberal Party, PL, say to follow the court. We also we found fraud. We are petitioning the court to address this. They say this is nonsense. You are guilty of fraud by telling us that we are possibly fraudulent. We're going to fine your party, 22 million reais, five, six million bucks. And now you're under criminal investigation for fake news and uh, assaulting democratic institutions. So, I mean, we see a pattern here. Yes, and there is the, something
1: the, the, going on.
2: The vice tightens more and more. Now, I said this, uh, you know, Bolsonaro did not you know, prevail in this election. The trend towards Venezuela would be very, very quick. And I am even shocked with my cynicism, how quick it's been. So now we have, you know, the military does fail to act and invoke martial law. I believe Bolsonaro was pushing that. He had some generals behind him, some not behind him. In the end, he leaves. Lula comes in. And now you have this protest that was very well telegraphed. I mean, I was seeing stuff all over social media. We're marching on Brasilia into three power Square. three power squares. The picture where you have this sort of sunken in giant field in between the three major buildings, the National Congress, the Supreme Court, and the, uh, the presidential executive branch palace, the uh, Palo, uh, Palo Alto, I forget. not Palo Alto, that's where you guys mm-hmm. are from, but somewhere yeah. like. uh, <laughs> And they marched to this, and now we already have videos after the fog of war that show there were agent provocateurs already in the National Congress taking hammers to the windows, screwing up all the chairs, ripping stuff off the wall, waiting for the throngs of people to enter, and then, hey guys, come in, the water's nice. They came in. You have videos of the protesters. And by the way, it's almost like a kind of kumbaya. Like you've never seen such a cross section society. Every race, male and female, every age, 10 year old kids, 80 year old men and women, all together. And then they're arguing with the agent provocateurs no, don't break that.
1: Yeah. Don't, yeah, don't yeah. rip the-
2: that off the wall. Don't, you know, don't bang a chair until the legs fall off. Like they're arguing. We have tons of videos of this. Uh, then the National Guard, uh, the, the federal police come in. And they have a little bit of a standoff with the military police, who are generally defending the protesters because the military's job is to defend the Constitution, not to defend the judicial autocracy and takeover of the country and the shredding of the Constitution. And there's a little standoff. The federal police prevail. They put the protesters in buses. It started off with 400. Then it was 1,200. The last number I heard was that they they captured about 1,700 people. And they bring them to the federal police uh, training facility in Brasilia, uh, stick them in the gymnasium no food no water no bathrooms young kids no food old women uh dehydrated uh intel says and it's been pretty well verified that at least one person's died that day i heard two people now they say it's up to four or five uh and they basically create a gulag which are being called in brazil Lulags, lula Gulags, yeah portmanteau yeah. uh and now after two days of that that was monday and tuesday they let the women and children go uh, by, by the way, the images of old people sitting in puddles of their own urine because there are no bathrooms. Sweltering conditions, no food, no water. Uh, they let the older the older women and the women and children go. And on the condition, and we have these floating around, a denunciation page, you have to sign it to be released saying, I am a terrorist, I assaulted democracy, and this now has them on lists. They will never get a job again. Uh, and they take all the men, and I guess some of the more able-bodied young, younger women. Uh, they're now in a federal, the equivalent of a federal penitentiary, no due process. They have not had access to, to uh, counsel. Uh, we have videos uh, that have been leaked that show, just kill us already. You've basically taken everything. The despair, the despondency, and the whole country. And now, of course, they're clamping down. They just shut down, uh, yesterday, Brazil's version of Fox News, Jovan Pan, that is shut down by FIAT. So now there's no alternative media whatsoever. They've shut down everybody on the right social media. The list of, of people who have been deplatformed on social media is now into the tens of thousands. Uh, and they're clapping down now. They, the, Alexander de Moraes, has suspended the governor of the federal district, the state where Brasilia is uh, is a part of. Uh, suspended the governor for ninety days. He doesn't have the power to do it, but he did it, uh, saying that well, you uh, did not help us defend it. I went on Tucker and said that a senator who's not a Pulse Now party member at all found documents. Uh, there were documents submitted by security agencies to Flavio Dino, the justice minister and Lula saying that there was going to be unrest on Sunday. We should cordon off the buildings so that it's not uh, you know, an insurrection. And, I mean, it, it kind of reminds you of Nancy Pelosi who the Capitol Hill yeah. police report to. I mean, right, The Tucker said it as well, you know, it's a template now.
1: So all these pieces, I think people are following along, even if they're missing some of the, the specifics uh, that you're talking about. The, the big pieces here all feel very familiar to a lot of things that have been happening across the West. And even the way our mainstream media was ignoring everything for months, then finally the events of, of basically the last week happen, and they can start just claiming that it's a bunch of insurre- insurrectionists and this is, this is MAGA exported and the rest of it. And that's what we're seeing out of all of our Democrat politicians, the ones who were speaking about it and out of our media machinery so you know, to I'm, somewhat, I'm reading, yeah.
2: I'm reading that uh, you know I read in Vanity Fair and Politico and Washington Post that you know this was coordinated. Tucker uh, alluded to this. This now the media is covering this, right? The revolution wouldn't be televised for for eight weeks, right? Uh, when, when they
1: got the what they when they got the images they wanted, and then
2: all of a sudden I'm getting asked for comment, and all of a sudden I'm reading I uh, I organized it because I was covering it or Bannon because I've been doing war room every day on it. Bannon understands global communism, so we've been covering this for even months leading in that Brazil's been the most important electoral battleground in 2022 against global communism against China coming into Latin America and uh, creating the Orwellian superstate. If you read 1984, Oceania, East Asia, that's Lula's goal. He wants a South American super state. He's already floated one currency. We we're always at war. And- if you think Exactly. Uh, they were always at war until they're not, uh, and then yeah. history gets revised. Uh, they want one currency, which if you thought the euro was a bad idea with southern uh, Italy and Spain, with uh, Germany and uh, and Amsterdam, Netherlands, uh, two different types of economies merging into one currency, all the problems that's created. How do you have Venezuela, a absolute communist rat hole that's been created out of the Forum Sao Paulo, and Brazil, one of the wealthiest nations in the world? third largest economy in our hemisphere, second largest country, third after uh, U.S. Canada, 220 million people, wealthy in oil, gas, magnesium, manganese, bauxite, tin, copper, gold, Uh, third or fourth largest food producer to the world, wheat, barley, oats. You know, this is a big deal that China is going to have a very controlled foothold. And by the way, also important, I don't believe Lula's the president of the country i mean he is a in a in, in name he's a figurehead they let him out of prison so they could have a figurehead they can have somebody that they could spin the people were with him it's alexander marias it has been wholesale taken over by the head of the judicial autocracy the supreme court judge and electoral court judge who's taken all these powers and has weaponized them against political opposition you know what they're saying now they're saying they are not going to seat the right-wing legislators in the legislature
1: this is I mean, just right. They're is, just not going to put them on
2: they, because they're terrorists, because yeah. now after January 8th, uh, you know, some of these uh, Nicholas Ferreira uh, is a young congressman who got more votes than anybody else in any of the ballots in Brazilian history. And they are not going to seat him because he tweeted that, you know, this is the elections fraudulent, that Marius is out of control. So the terror, Carlos the Villakisis, like hardcore political righties are not only going to be not seated, many of them are going to be put in jail very, very soon. So this has gone from zero to Stalin in record time. I thought it'd be Venezuela in six to 12 months. Well, it's going to be you know the the post Bolshevik order in Russia in 1920 21 when the first uh, Soviet government was formed. It is going to be that show trials, purges, uh, probably gulags and mass executions. That's what these people are capable of.
1: So, okay, so in the in the remaining moments, again, there's there's just so much here. You're you're giving us a lot, and we'll we'll do this again. And and I want people to pay attention to this because even when I I think I retweeted one or two of the videos that you had posted, and the amount of people that I saw responses from saying, we're in Brazil, everyone's ignoring us, we're not terrorists, we're, I mean, all this, it's just like they're being ignored or manip- You know what people are saying about them is a complete manipulation of the truth. So at the moment, I think, Buenos Aires here in Florida, people Bolsonaro, have taken yeah. videos of uh, Bolsonaro, people have taken videos of him uh, basically, basically wandering around publics and, seeing what's going on over here. But did he, so did he technically flee? I mean, was that a, was that a no, midnight job? So
2: he did he failed in his attempt to uh, fight back with the fraudulent election. Uh, the judiciary uh, got to, I guess, some of the judges, threatened to arrest some of the, I'm sorry, the judiciary got to some of the generals, threatened to arrest him have still threatened to arrest him now if they don't go and weaponize their forces against the protesters uh he was not able to get article 142 invoked so on the 30th and you know if you're a head of state uh the american uh sort of uh, visa program is you can come in and out as you please so he had to leave before his term was up on midnight the 31st and Lula was sworn in but he also i know him personally he didn't want to be a part there's a uh the, the, the sort of changing of the guard has a symbolic optic where you hand the sash over, you present the sash. He didn't want to be a part of that. He knows what this is. So between that, the, the symbolic optics and having to get out, because the sec- if he was there, they would have arrested him that day. They would have put him in jail that day. And now they're going to try and extradite him. Uh, he has telegraphed that he will go back to Brazil Uh, He may go into exile in Italy, for instance. His family has an Italian background, and I think the Maloney government would uh, give him refuge. Uh, I suggested to them go to Hungary. They'll give a lot of people refuge. Uh, But he's going to go back now, I believe, uh, in short order. But it's not going to end well for him. And he said this to Jason and myself when we met with him this is going to end one of three ways in my arrest, my death, or my victory and prevailing. And uh, it doesn't look like victory and prevailing is going to happen. So uh, now he did go to Florida, which I thought was. Personally, I I would have gone to Italy and put in a caretaker government by force, but hey, I'm not a Brazilian politician, so...
1: Not yet, anyway. I mean,
2: he said he did not want to have civil war, uh, his fingerprints on civil war. My argument on that, and I know that, you know, Vanity Fair and Politico, they'll have a field day with this, is civil war, you have an option of winning, and you probably would have won because the military, by and large, was with you. 170 of the highest-ranking officers in an unprecedented uh, uh, act signed an open letter to Bolsonaro publicized in media, we need you to act and invoke Article 142, otherwise we are going to be Venezuela. Uh, Well, he didn't and now it is Venezuela, but even more, it took Chavez a few years to really cement power. He got power, democratically elected, coercively so, but democratically elected. It wasn't until he held a sham referendum to cement power, I think it was in 2002, that it got really brutal and oppressive and they went after dissidents uh, and and really took just unilateral control of the country. This is happening in Brazil within a week.
1: So in essence, He's in exile. We'll we'll see where he ends up. Lulu is the, I suppose, titular head of state, but you're saying he's not even really in charge. We'll see what happens to all of the quote-unquote insurrectionists. The media will lie about pretty much everything. Yep. Well, I guess in summation, where should people go to find out more, if, uh, more of something approximate to honesty related to all of this? Because if you turn on CNN for the little bit, or you know, the one article they might that might be on the second page over at CNN.com, it's basically, as I said, it's the MAGA insurrectionists trying to destroy democracy just like they did in America.
2: Well, one of the powerful things of Brazilian populism is that Brazil is, I think, and I'd love to see quantitative metrics on this, the most social media engaged country and citizenry in the world. Uh, Everybody's on social media and they're active, they're engaged, they use technology very effectively. There is no shortage of prima facie evidence from the ground of what has transpired and what's continuing to transpire. Obviously I'm a hub and spoke for it. I've become a bit of an English language voice in, in global Western press, especially in the US uh, for them. So my, my Twitter, my getter, my Instagram obviously have blown up on this. It's I feel like I better learn Portuguese, Portuguese otherwise I won't <laughs> be able to use my own newsfeed. Uh, yeah. So it's very, very social media engaged. Up until a few days ago, you did have uh, a sort of alternative media and right-wingers, but they've literally been shut down by Fiat Jovan Pan. Uh, the the right-wingers, the journalists and conservatives who are in this country are all now going to be pushed to be extradited back and be put in prison. Uh, Paulo Figuirito, uh Rodrigo Constantino, uh, uh, Ricardo Martins, who's a pastor, they want to put him in jail. They want to. I'm getting messages. They're so heartbreaking, the despondency from the people. I have uh, people who've been sources for me now for for months, and especially in the last couple months, saying I'm shutting down all my social media to remove the tracks so that they don't break down my door at 5 a.m. tomorrow and put a paper bag or a, a, a cloth bag over my head and rendition me. And you know, my father was an anti-communist dissident in Poland, imprisoned by the Soviets in Lithuania, uh, dealing with the Poles uh, censored and harassed nonstop for being a dissident. So I know, you know, what this looks like. And it basically looks like a Kafka story where you know you get a, a bag over your head at 5 a.m. and then your wife goes to the police station, says, uh, my husband was taken by the government. They go, oh no, you just misplaced him. We don't know what you're talking about.
1: Man, there, there is a lot here. I, I appreciate you packing in a lot in a short amount of time. Uh, we'll link to your social media accounts below so people can Thank follow you. you more specifically on the day-to-day stuff, what's going on here. But uh, keep it up, man, and uh, maybe we'll bump into him someday at Publix. You know what I mean? Maybe I don't know. You know.
2: I think he's probably not gonna have that uh freewheeling a lifestyle going forward.
1: Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, David. Thanks for tuning in to the Rubin Report. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on locals at rubinreport.locals.com.